productive is a prerequisite of leadership. But how do you measure productivity as a leader? Hey, let's talk about it. So before, there was not as much privacy around specific data, right? Um, in fact, it was very difficult even to get the data out of the system. And now we really focus on transparency and accountability, right? Mm -hmm. Ensuring that the, the information that's collected is properly shared with the community. And that's a challenge for agencies because a lot of them don't even get it out of the system themselves. Hey, greetings, leaders, and welcome to another episode of Leadership Is Podcast. This is season four, episode 12. I am your host, Jason Muhammad, founder of JM Leadership Development. Hi, everyone, and my name is Lakivia Johnson, also known as Lucky. I am the founder and lead education catalyst for STEPS Academic Advising and Education, LLC. Thanks so much for listening again today. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm so excited because we have a returning guest that has been on the Leadership Is podcast before. And Lucky, if you would be so kind to do the honors of letting our guests know who this phenomenal, uh, letting our uh, audience know who this phenomenal guest is. Awesome. It definitely would be my pleasure. Welcome back, Don. Everyone, we have Don Reedy on the show. She is the founder of Excellence in Analytics. EIA, and is an energized subject matter expert, keynote speaker, trainer, seasoned law enforcement analyst, and coach. Her resume is so long, so give me just a moment to, to tell you about her. She is a certified professional with over 24 years of success in the development, integration, and growth of data-driven strategies in law enforcement. She is a highly sought-after strategist and high-performance trainer who has helped hundreds of individuals, teams, and agencies all over the globe to build their delivery and performance capacities, advance their careers, and become happier and more fulfilled people. Dawn partners with a variety of federal, state, and local agencies as a law enforcement strategy specialist and subject matter expert, designing and delivering nationally certified and international courses, webinars, day and even week long workshops and keynote speeches. Dawn is also the author of the best-selling book, Bigger Than Data, a law enforcement analyst's roadmap to marketability, professional development, fulfillment, and joy. The lessons in this book have been instrumental in moving the law enforcement analytical professional into that of professionalism, excellence, and joy. In her second book, Building a Crime Analysis Legacy, a law enforcement supervisor's roadmap to building long-lasting, high-quality analytical capacity. She helps survivors build quality and sustainable analytical function that lasts. <laughs> Finally, her dream is to shift the culture of law enforcement analytics to be the professional driver of policy operations in the most excellent, sustainable in joyous way. Don, welcome. <laughs> you did it. Wow, thank you so much for that, that lovely introduction. I appreciate being here with both of you, Jason and Lucky, today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Jason, fill us in. Tell me a little bit about how you know Don. Well, so uh, Don being uh, to me such a Facebook sensation. Uh, I met her. She was doing some uh, some Facebook lives talking about leadership, and um, it was coming from uh, data um, analysis and uh, law enforcement. But mm -hmm. I still found the principles that she was talking about, uh, you know, very interesting. And so I reached out to her, and we've been having conversations. And so I said, "Hey, would you, you know, please be a guest?" on my podcast and i think i've even been a uh guest on her show oh, um cool. as well yes and so yeah and and ever since then it's like when i think about you know leadership stuff and i see her continually growing continuously growing uh putting out new content new material all the time it's just you know she's just very attractive in that way and so 
I said, hey, yeah, let, let me stay in touch with this person. Let me continue to listen, learn, and grow from this person. So, yeah, that, that's how that started. Oh, wow. Sounds very similar to how I kind of reached out to Jason and said, hey, I really like listening to your show. Can I be on it, Dawn? That's how I, I you know, got on the show. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That's That's quite wonderful. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I could not wait to speak to you today because I have so many questions. Just reading about your bio, I my jaw just dropped. I was like, wow. And what is what is law enforcement analysis? Like, I can't wait to talk to this woman. So fill us in. What is law enforcement analysis? How did you get into this work? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I just love the energy here. It's just awesome. Thank you so much for being so welcoming and inviting. Um, and, and we always learn from each other. And I'm already learning. So I'm thankful uh, for this opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, law enforcement analytics is really using information to drive the solutions that we implement in a public sector environment, right? And so um, it moves us away from the reactive kind of responses that many are very used to, right? So that's traditionally what policing has been built on. And it brings us into this new era of using that um, information and intelligence around that information to help us make stronger, smarter decisions to really keep our communities safe and happy um, and well. Uh, so, so the field itself, I mean, I started in 1998 and yeah. it wasn't even a thing. <laughs> I started way back when, um, and it was, um, it was known very sporadically in policing as, as a function, law enforcement analytics. And typically it's a civilian function, uh, most often, right? Uh, although you will see sworn in that position as well. But it's really the brains behind a lot of the bigger thinking and the strategic operations um, and the pattern identification, right? And so pulling together lots and lots of information, not only from within the agency, but from outside the agency as well, to do some predictions and identify where we can be most impactful. And so now it has just grown into this incredible field, especially over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years. It's, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's colleges that that create curriculum around this. There's, mm. I mean, I've taught in Saudi Arabia. I've taught, oh. I'm doing some work with Europe right now, all over the U.S., Canada, you know, and so, and, and not just me, others are really talking about um, how to do this. We're catching up with the, with the private sector, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really been quite a ride and I've had a lot of great mentors along the way and um, along the way really learned what, what leadership and how I can have leadership in this particular arena in uh, in this environment. Wow! And how did you get into this work? Yeah. So about it. <laughs> well, you know, I, to to be quite honest with you, I was um, in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just had my daughter. I was a, a teen mom. And I was looking for an internship because I just wanted to be involved in something. I knew Mm -hmm. I had to progress my degree. I was in a bachelor master program and I knew the odds were kind of against me. (laughs) And so I really wanted to get in with something. So I volunteered for a 32 hour week internship at something that interested me, but I really didn't know much about it. And and thankfully I ended up in an agency that really valued analytics back then. And so um, I wasn't a coffee runner or any of those things. I was given projects and mm-hmm. stimulated mentally and really engaged um, yeah. in there. And back then you needed the master's degree to be an analyst. And, and I didn't have that. I was in the program, but they hired me anyway and gave me a year to complete it. And I did. And, um, you know, and, and I feel like there's the special people in our lives that give us these opportunities mm-hmm. when we come from where we come from, you know, and when we feel um, down or at a certain place in our lives, that they do this one thing that totally shifts the rest of our life, you know? And so I'm very grateful to um, that police agency, Lowell Police Department and and Commissioner Davis, who gave me that opportunity. Hey, Dawn, so as you're talking, I'm listening, and I just have a a question for you um, before, you know, Lucky continues. So being a, a teen mom, you know, what did that if you've thought about it, I'm quite sure you have because you're, you're an analytical person. Mm-hmm. Um, what has, you know, being a team mom taught you about leadership? 
Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. And I think, you know, one of the things that I really understood early was that if I wanted to show up as my best self, if I wanted to progress, then I had to put in the time and the energy to do that. And I had to get around the right people and um, nourish my brain on a regular basis. There was nobody else that was going to do it for me. In fact, my environment was telling me that I was selfish for being in school, that I wasn't being a good mom because I wasn't there with her um, because I was working and and going to school and all the things and and I would only see her at night and and so forth. And so what it taught me was really, um, you know, to believe in your path, to buckle down and do the right thing and and put all in because it really does pay off. Yeah, I can totally relate to everything you just said. Um having the opportunities, feeling guilty as a mom by, you know, having to like take on these other responsibilities like working and going to school and mm-hmm. then of course doing all of that work to be able to look back and and be proud of what you did so that you can now provide a better life for yourself and for your children. Absolutely. And I I had tremendous mom guilt. I mean, I worked a Mm full-time job. I worked two restaurant jobs to have extra money. And I went to school full-time. It was an insane period of time. But I remember years later, I ran into this accident reconstruction woman um, when I was teaching out in Texas and, um, you know, and she, she was the only accident reconstruction agent for a certain part of the whole state. And Mm -hmm. so she had to go off and, and reconstruct this, this crash. And she said that her son was at home. Um, and she's sharing the story because I was feeling the guilt of being away, teaching and being away. And she was sharing the story that, you know, she told her son that her mom's a superhero and I have to go and, you know, and help people. And, um, and can you hold me in your heart while I do that? And that really stuck with me because for so long, I thought I was taking away from my daughter by pushing through my career so strongly. But then I realized, no, I'm creating the strength in her that she's going to need someday to really achieve her goals as well. Mm. Wow. Excellent. That is so powerful. And that kind of is right in line with my next question, right? Um, As a superhero, I'm going to ask you this. So, I've always I've always heard stories about how the legal system is so overworked and about the backlogs of evidence that still need to be reviewed and used to like help solve cases or inform them, especially in cases of like rape, for example. You know, there are all these different, you know, samples and things that haven't even been looked at. Um, if this is the case that or if you're like familiar with situations like this, how and when are the analytic services you provide prioritized? Well, it, there are tons of deficits in the criminal justice system. Let's just say that, right? And so one of the things that analytics does is it really allows us to consolidate a lot of information and clear a lot more cases. You know, mm-hmm. with your particular instance of the rape um, case and a backlog, you know, a, a forensic analyst or, or um, you know, probably more of an FBI analyst would study serial patterns, serial rapes, right? And they would be able to connect multiple rapes based on modus operandi, you know, how somebody behaves uh, based on geography, based on temporal patterns, and a variety of other analytical uh, functions and features, and essentially clear more cases and and allow more victims to, um, to have closure, right? And so in the past, um, and even still today, you know, we have a backload of cases, right? But mm-hmm. the analyst will go in and work with detectives a lot of the time and say, hey, you're working these three burglary cases, but I think that these other seven are related to you. So let's study these 10 together and work to clear all 10 out because there's a relationship between them. So analytics allows us to look at um, all these different patterns and everybody has a pattern, right? You you probably woke up and, and did the same routine this morning that you do almost every other morning, right? <laughs> and so um, driving to work at a certain time of day, um, maybe, you know, the way you get out of bed, the order that you get out of bed, brush your teeth, do your hair, all that, right? And so, you know, offenders have and victims have similar patterns of behavior, so the analyst study those patterns of behaviors and try to identify other cases that could potentially, you know, uh, be resolved as as a result of them digging in and connecting those. And that's one of the 
the wonderful things that analysis can do because we can use systems to really automate a lot of Mm -hmm. um, these analytics. So we bring in, you know, different tools, of course, with with ethical, um, you know, backing, right, Uh, different Mm -hmm. tools to help identify these and then apply that critical thinking and that pattern analysis to connect um, to connect those. And so, you know, to answer your question, really, um, although, you know, I, I don't particularly work in forensics, like I'm not, um, not working with the physical evidence, um, mm. in the field itself, really analytics allows us to pull the information together and clear more cases. Oh, wow. Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So, so I have another question for you, Dawn. Sure. Um, as you know, dealing with law enforcement and patterns, you know, during the whole George Floyd and the other uh, uh, upheaval of, you know, police brutality reports and statistics and actual facts, you know, were you pulled in, you know, uh, during that, the heightened, you know, part of that time to to come in and help the leadership of these agencies uh, to kind of get things right. Yeah, I think that there have been multiple agencies who've reached out to me to help uh, to help figure out what biases do exist in their agency and how can they address them properly, right? And so um, as you're moving along in life, you don't always understand and see the biases that might exist, right? And you sometimes ignore uh, the biases that might exist. And we all have them. We all have a certain way of looking at things. I look at things mm-hmm. from a single mom's point of view, right? Like that teen mom's point of view sometimes, right? And so um, a lot of agencies are now recognizing that old school mentality is just just not working. And so how can we use our information to drive better decision-making? How can we um, you know, take a look at some of the reactive calls, right? Like some of the people who call 911, why they're calling police and really try to create more preventative strategies rather than reactive strategies around those particular situations. So, you know, there's there's some really terrible things that happen in policing. There just is. And there's no excuse for it. And it's disgusting, to be quite honest with you. Um, but there's also some and, not but, and there's also some wonderful things that are happening in policing where, you know, leaders are, are there's some really great leaders out there who are looking to move agencies into a better time, a better era. Um, there's this podcast, um, um, Cop Doc, who interviews a bunch of chiefs and helps get their perspective around these very issues and in, in the academic combined with the with the application um, world. And he's had some really great leaders on. Uh, Dr. Steve Morelli has had some really great leaders on talking about their their um, thinking, right? Their thinking and how the type of culture that they want to create and how to do that in a much more efficient and effective manner. Well, I love that these conversations are taking place because it's so important. Um, Like right now I'm actually, I'm I'm so happy I'm finishing up this ethical leadership course. And um, (laughs) I was actually just reviewing as I'm writing this paper, um, reviewing some information about moral complexity and just understanding, you know, these, 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 these differences in cultures and these lens that we see then view things like you just said, you know, from a single mother's perspective and people who are calling 911, who are those people who call and who are those people who don't, you know, I think in the, and that come that brings in the biases in the past, these things haven't really been considered, but as we grow and as we all become more intelligent, we're learning how important it is to consider that stuff, how important it is to bring in the context of situations as well. Absolutely. And and I see it too. I see the evolution in policing and there's still work to do, um, but I do see a much greater effort in understanding this. And, you know, even thinking about law enforcement analytics, right. And so before there was not as much privacy around specific data, right? Um, in fact, it was very difficult even to get the data out of the system. And now we really focus on transparency and accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Ensuring that the the information that's collected is properly shared with the community. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge for agencies because a lot of them don't even get it out of the system themselves, right? And so they, they don't even look at it. They, they don't have the capacity to do so, that accessibility. 
And so, uh, but we are seeing, you know, privacy protections coming into play. We are seeing, um, like in law enforcement analytics, we see that, you know, data has biases in it sometimes, right? There's unfair outcomes. And so really looking to see how we're how we're looking at these situations, how reliable and accurate is the information that's being provided. Um, And some of the things that I see happening more and more is we're engaging other community partners, right, to help make decisions about the data. So, um, you know, we're looking to say, okay, well, what other resources can we bring into play? One of the key examples of this would be mental health, right? Mental health officers have have been operating as um, a mental health care provider essentially for folks someone will call police if there's a mental health cri- mental health crisis and officers are frustrated because they don't have the resources the training the the no. the i you know anything that they need to really truly solve the problem so what do we do? Well, we have to partner with those folks who do know how to solve that problem. Right. We have to partner with the clinicians and the resources and combine the the efforts so that individuals don't end up in a in a in the criminal justice system as offenders, but instead they get the resources that they truly need mm-hmm. to be successful community members. So right. I, I am seeing um, a lot of these ethical. Um, um, ethical and responsible use of data to really uh, that really is is starting to um, be stronger. I would say you know you have more entities, um, you have more organizations that are are demanding quality data. You have more police agencies and um, cities investing in uh, an analytical function so that we can look at this information. Uh, so it's not perfect, but I do think we're on the right path. Uh, and I do think we've made some progress, uh, probably slower than I'd like, but certainly we've made some progress. Well, wow, that's awesome. So I started working in the functional medicine space. So when I hear you talking about mental health and making sure that officers are able to connect, you know, potential mental health patients um, to, you know, the right resources, functional medicine um plays a really big role in that, you know, and really trying to get to the root cause of what their issues are. Um, I said that to say that's one piece, but then also in this space, what I have learned is that, especially with the growth of AI, and I want to pick your brain about what you think about that here in just one moment, um, but to give you some context, in this healthcare space, one thing, of course, there's a lot of biases in healthcare. There's a lot of racism in healthcare. There's a lot of lack of information in healthcare because historically centered individuals were the one and people in the past who actually received good treatment. And so the data that is being pulled from say AI, um, it may not, as you said, it might not be accurate. Like it would be biased data to those who have been tested, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. To those who are getting that healthcare. So that is definitely, go ahead, you're about to say something. Um, yeah, well, I just wanted to touch on the ho- holistic, you know, functional medicine piece. I'm a huge proponent of, you know, whole body health. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that there's lots of, of value. In fact, I have my own holistic, um, you know, doctors that are not supported by my insurance that, that have, right? <laughs> that have, have helped me. <laughs> what, what's that? What's that? So that's another problem, right? Insurance right. doesn't support it, right? That's correct. And so really, and, and that actually is an interesting topic because um, I started to see a lot of stress stress and burnout in my field um, yeah. in, you know, for chiefs and for executives and analysts and leads and so forth. And so one of the things that I've built my business around is um, this idea of leadership of self, this idea of really prioritizing self-care. And so although my um, history is a lot in law enforcement. My business serves the larger population. So we certainly serve law enforcement, but we serve many, many leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're focusing on uh, a lot is, um, is like, how do you want to live your life? What do you right. want your life to look like? And what do you want your family, your friends, your your partner relationships? What do you want your physical, your spiritual health to look like? Mm-hmm. And so I was so in tune to this that I actually put myself through a year of Integrative Institute, uh, the Integrative Institute of, of Nutrition School. Because oh, wow. I, yes, because I really wanted to understand how to reduce stress, but still have an exception, 
exceptional career. Right. And so, um, so we've built in that component in all of our leadership programs of leadership of self as the top priority. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I wanted to just pause you on that because that is a critical component, not just in leadership, but in, in anyone's life to really love the life they live. They're proud of it. They're working on positive goals and they're not just focused on one thing like career or one thing like family, right. but they kind of have, you know, this holistic view of what they want their life to look like and recognize that they can design their lives any way they want because things happen twice, right? First they happen in your mind and then they happen in reality. And so, and so once we, once we understand this concept, you know, we can reduce the stress. We can reduce the stress that people are faced with and create organization and and productivity in a systemic way. So that is a, a key component to all of this. So I just want to touch on that. Um, and you mentioned AI. So yes, I I have recently, oh my gosh, a, a real estate guru of mine um, sent me AI and I was so, I was so reluctant to actually look at it. I'm like, oh, come on. I don't need to know that stuff. It's probably some computer stuff, you know, and uh, several months ago. And then I finally took a look at it and I was blown away, blown away. Mm-hmm. I started thinking about the potential, um, how we could uh, make things operate faster in analytics, right? I think oh, about, yeah. I think about, um, you know, the reports that we write and how quickly we have to get them out there, and, and the different right. ways that AI can help us do that. And you know, I, so I played around a lot with ChatGPT and some other tools, and um, and I found a lot of value in them. I wrote, you know, wellness uh, policies. I didn't know where to start, so I said, "Can you give me a framework for a wellness policy?" Yeah, <laughs> and so. You know, so it gave me a framework, but the key with AI and as we move forward, uh, as we move forward in all of this, the real key with AI is to recognize that there has to be that human factor. Um, it was a doctor who just came out, um, uh, Thaddeus, and I can't quite recall his last name right now, but he just came out with some concepts, right? An article around AI and its biases, right? And it's important for us to recognize that the data that's in AI who's putting that data in there, right? Exactly. And so, so they could have some biases. So although although I find value, I find incredible value in some of the tools that are out there right now, I still have to use my brain <laughs> and use my own research. Yeah. That's right. Well, I was curious to know, um, so yeah, the biases that come along in the AI piece but then also like in law enforcement specifically, and when you're working with um, victims or even, you know, those who may be, you know, going to prison because of something that they did, confidentiality is a factor. So while you can use like chat PD, chat GPT and different other, you know, AI tools to pull information together, how are you encouraging, um, you know, your audience to use that information ethically? Or have you started making plans to teach us that yet. Yeah. So, um, so it's relatively new to me over the last maybe three months, I've been playing around with this and learning more and more about this, but I did build in a component of this into a legacy course that I teach down in Florida to, um, executives in law enforcement. Right. And so my, my role down there is to teach them how to use information to drive their decisions. And uh-huh. they're going to hear about this thing called AI and they're going to want to know right. about it. So I built in some concepts in there and it really focuses on the ethical use of it, its limitations in terms of biases. And, um, and, and you know, you can't feed AI personal data. <laughs> so right. you can't. You can't dump data in there and say, tell me the pattern, right? And so right. not yet, right? And so, but but we are seeing more vendors come out with some of these capabilities and it is secured, right? And so, or will be secured, hopefully in the near future. So I think that there's, you know, there's ways that we can utilize it. Like we can, for instance, we can have, you know, let's say those 10 burglaries. Um, we want to analyze them really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. We can throw, essentially, at one point, my hope is, once it's once it's um, secured is that we can throw in those 10 reports and say identify you know the spatial relationship the temporal relationship the you know mo relationship and um, of course use the analysis and the critical thinking to look at it but consolidate some of the time 
the time piece is, is key. Um, and so that's the extent of, of where I've gotten with it so far. I think that there's uh, hope and, and despair all kind of wrapped in one when it comes to AI. <laughs> so I, we have a lot of work to do in this area. And although it's exciting because we like things fast, right. um, I think we have to be very cautious and careful as to how we use this and where we draw our, our, um, our analysis from. Wow. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that kind of leads back into what you were saying about self-leadership. So as I was doing my own research to learn more about you, I did see that you talked about self-leadership and really promoted that um, for law enforcement. And I love that idea because I mean, in all honesty, I really believe that we shouldn't really tell other people what to do if we can't even control what we do. So, so like, when did you become passionate about teaching that to law enforcement individuals? You know, it was really when I started burning out. (laughs) And so, um, you know, because I had that mentality of work harder, work harder, work harder, you have to make Mm -hmm. up for being a teen mom and all the things and all the guilt that was in my mind. I, I worked so hard that I really didn't restore very well. And I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And I had adrenal fatigue and all kinds of things. And I had the mentality that you work now and you enjoy later. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I started to see my health take a toll. And the reality oh. is that old philosophy didn't have to be that way. And so I started to fix the health portion of me. I started to learn about other parts of me that weren't related to my daughter or work, right? I started to find things that brought me joy that I thought I didn't have the time to do. And I really started to understand the connection between restoration and not just once a year on vacation, right? But true restoration every single day that creates the best leaders. In fact, um, once I, I understood this, I worked on myself. Then I started producing these YouTube videos. Um, there's a playlist that I have in our YouTube under excellence and analytics, where it is all about leadership, growth, and development. And this topic of restoration and, and simplicity in leadership of self um, is something that I drive home all the time. This is probably the number one reason why leaders come to me. Uh, mm. They hire me as, as their coach. They say, I don't know how to balance life anymore. I feel like I'm being eaten up at work or um, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed. And you can't perform. You can't perform for a long period of time. Like that, that's not sustainable, right? And so, um, so the major lack of self-care just creates this cycle of resentment and anger and and not excellence. And so, in order for us to truly be excellent as a leader to others, we must be excellent as a leader to ourselves. Right. End of story. Yeah. And so, when we focus on this. Then, you know, I mean, think about it, Lucky, if, you know, if if you're the leader, like, let's say you're the business owner, and you're burnt out, like, you you know, you're so burnt out, or maybe you're the leader in your your company, and you're so burnt out, nobody's going to want your job. (laughs) There's no succession plan for you, right? They're going to be like, what do I want to do for? And so really creating the joy in what we do um, in a sustainable way uh, has been built into my business and my coaching services for over 12 years. Um, and so it really is the crucial piece. And it's the thing that folks come to me most often for. Um, and and it's the thing that I find a lot of joy in helping them through because I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. So. Wow. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. You guys are having an excellent discussion and, Done. You, you really, you know, you, you know what you're talking about, and Lucky knows how to pull it out. And so, uh, yeah, excellent, excellent, excellent conversation. Appreciate that. I'm just like thinking about the whole self leadership piece as being self care. When mm-hmm. I thought of that, I never in self care. I totally prioritize self care. And yes, that is a part of me being, you know, strong, right? But I never thought of having the ability to do that or making sure I know that that's important to do as a form of leadership and self-leadership. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's the form. It's the critical component to leadership. 
And we, we recently came out with these um, leadership planners, right? And one of the things that I wanted to do with this planner is really help mm-hmm. folks see that when you're looking at your schedule, like the idea is on Thursdays, right? Or whenever your kind of end of week is, is you're starting to plan out the following week, right? You're really starting to think about the things that are important to you, that strategic vision, building high performance teams, how to growth, all of the things that think leaders think about, right? But yeah. before you do any of that on that Thursday, you plug in the leadership of self activities that you're going to do, the commitment that you have to yourself oh. for the following week first, Right. Yeah. And so I'll plug in things like yoga or because uh, I'm, I'm, I love yoga. I love getting upside down on, on a paddleboard. It's a big goal of mine to continue to do that until I'm a bazillion years old. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, in, in finding and discovering joy. Right. So plug, plugging that yeah. in into your calendar. And those are non-negotiables. Those are things that oh. don't get pushed to the side because you're busy. That is your busy. That right. is your effectiveness. That is what right. makes you a great leader because you show up as a better person. Ooh, you could say that again. That is what makes you a great leader because <laughs> why? Because, yes, you because when you show up as your best self, absolutely, you show up as your best self. And you can't do that if you're overworked, if you're stressed out, if you're barking at people, if you're making poor decisions, because you have not been able to regulate your emotions. You have not been able to um, um, restore properly. So, yeah, showing up as your best self, it's the key to success. It is. And I like your analogy between chiropractors and leaders. So tell us a little bit more about that. I get it, right? But tell the audience why you compare a leader to a chiropractor. (laughs) Yes. Well, and you know, one of the key things that leaders, there's these five core areas of leadership, right? That we're always thinking about these five core things that we we get into in in our leadership boot camp. And the very first thing uh, that that we focus on is strategic vision, setting the overall vision and the direction of the team. And so it is super ultra important that the leader know what that vision is, that the leader creates that vision and spends his or her morning, noon, and night aligning people with that vision. What's needed to reach that vision? Does everybody understand that vision? Is it clear to everybody? Um, clarity is key. You know, a lot of folks um, I've worked with, I said, what's the mission of your organization? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And uh, they kind of like maybe, you know, generalize it. And I said, no, no, no. Where's your your company going to be in three years? Where are you headed? What are you helping them achieve? And they're like, I don't know. I'm just working here, right? I'm just leading a team. And so strategic vision is incredibly important. There's this um, book called The Vivid Vision that really helped me sink my teeth into creating the vision for my business. And because once that vision is created, your job is to be that team chiropractor and align everybody over and over again with the vision, right? So that means that your policies and procedures align with the vision. That means when somebody's, you know, I'm not feeling like a partner, right? You align them with that bigger vision and show them their role and their importance in that vision. And so the team chiropractor to me is, um, is, is a leadership quality. You must be able to articulate that vision and then align people over and over again with the biggest, the bigger vision. Wow. I, I'm totally a Beyonce fan. I think a lot of people are. And one thing I love that she says in the song is get information. Everybody get information. And for me, mm-hmm. studying leadership like you and teaching other people leadership, that means so much more to me than just dancing. Um, mm-hmm. It means just being calibrated, you know, just being on one page, making sure that everyone is in that alignment. Absolutely. Um, it's so important. So you spoke of five different areas for leadership. What are the other four? Yeah, sure. And by the way, I love that word calibrated because, you know, leaders inspire others and they calibrate. That's a great one. I, I'm learning. Right. I'm growing. I'm, I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first one is strategic vision. And we get into these pretty heavy in our, um, in our, we have a leadership boot camp. It's just a, a short four week program. And, but we also have a, a leadership program that's nine months long and we get pretty heavy into these core areas. Um, But of course, strategic vision is the first one. The second one is building that high performance team. So hiring, leading and optimizing an elite team culture. 
every single week, leaders need to be thinking about how are we building a high performance team? Um, do I have the proper documentation? Um, what can I do today to build that elite team culture? What can I do to optimize that team culture? And so really focusing on what does my team need? Do they need computers? Do they need coaching? What do they need? So leaders are thinking about how do I build a high performance team every single week, right? Okay. Every single week. Um, the, the third um, area is head of growth. So we're spearheading growth initiatives that support providing exceptional value for whatever it is that you're serving, right? So every week I'll say to myself, all right, Don, how are you growing, you know, head of growth? Is, is this a growth period for me, first of all, right? And right now it's a big growth period because we're putting together all these, you know, um, the, the productivity tools and the boot camps and the leadership program and so forth, right? And mm-hmm. so my question to myself is, how am I spearheading those growth uh, initiatives? Am I, um, am, I, am I building in ways that provide exceptional value? Is there a part of the program, for instance, that needs to be revised? Is there another you know, um, topic such as AI that needs to be built in? How, how mm-hmm. am I growing and spearheading my growth initiatives? So that's mm. the third one. The fourth one is strategic partnerships. Oh, Lordy, we forget about this. And this is something that must be on every leader's mind. Because as a leader, you realize that it is not your job to do everything. In fact, you're not a good leader if you try to do everything, right? <laughs> and so yeah. thinking about strategic partnerships, how can I create alliances with internal and external partners for that win-win relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Seven Habits by Stephen Covey, one of my favorite books, yeah. it, really looking, how can we have win-win relationships? And so one of the things I do, and probably because I'm an analyst, is I try to organize and list all the partnerships that I'm working on and and set priorities and say, oh my gosh, how long has it been since I've connected with Lucky and Jason? Um, I want to make sure that they know that I still care about them. And so I'll I'll make sure that I'm, you know, nurturing those relationships and also building new ones, right? And this one gets tricky because it often feels like, you know, it's, it's busy work, right? It often feels sometimes that, oh, I don't have time for that. But this is the kind of thing that creates great leadership because, um, you know, just here alone, we're learning, we're growing together, Lucky, you know, and that's, that's a, there's a wonderful opportunity to share these messages with your audience, with my audience, and to help them, um, you know, think about their own strategic partnerships, right? So, You're right. Strategic vision, building high-performance teams, head of growth, strategic partnerships, and then the final one is effective process creation. So creating efficiencies and systems that ensure flow and improvement paths. Uh, And so this is something where we want to really look at our business and look at our teams and say, how can we improve, um, you know, the flow, right? So a lot of police agencies that I work with, for instance, they want an analytical function, but they, their analyst doesn't have access to the data. So right. I'll say to them, well, how the heck are they supposed to analyze data if they have to manually enter <laughs> all of that stuff, right? You're not, you're not setting them up for success. So what systems can we create, right, okay. uh, to really improve um, and ensure that flow? So it can also be in your business, right? So how can you create more flow? What systems can you get into? How can, you know, um, one of the things that, that we work on a lot with the leaders that come on as, as coaching clients is they struggle because their vi- business feels like it's all over the place, right? Yeah. And so we break it down and we say, all right, what are the key processes that we can tighten up, that we can document, that we can you know create a better flow to before you move on to the next phase? And so that's a, that's a key function in business, as you know, uh, really creating processes that work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What a so- phenomenal technique. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no! What were you? What were you saying? I was just wrapping it up. Those are the five areas that every single week they're in the planner, and every single week, you know, on that Thursday, I'm going to look out to the following week. I'm going to plug in my leadership of self, and then I'm going to figure out what are my goals in these core five areas of my business that I want to really make sure I touch upon. There's an ebb and flow, right? Like there's some some times where you're heavy on strategic vision, and other times where you're heavy on strategic partnerships. There is an ebb and flow, but we're always thinking about these things as leaders because this is what gets the job done and helps us optimize and calibrate, to use your words. 
Oh my goodness. So I know I need to get your planner because <laughs> all of those things are what I'm working on right now, especially the relationships piece. So for my organization, because my company is built on relationships, like we have to have those, we have to keep those sustainable. But then that ebb and flow, like you said, like this has to be done, but then all these other things have to be done as well. And making time for that can be a challenge. But then, of course, I prioritize making time for me because I know I can't do everything else if I'm not showing up in the best way. As you should. As you should. You go. That's exactly what I love to hear. <laughs> That's Good. wonderful. Thank you, Don. So I know we're getting close to time here. Tell us. I mean, I feel like it's totally self-explanatory, but I want you to tell us, Don, like, how did all of these things come together to help leaders increase and measure their productivity? Well, um, you know, we can set we can set measurables to any of these key areas, right? Which we do in in our productivity courses, right? And so, um, but but what's important is to really understand the difference between efficiencies and effectiveness. And sometimes oh, like the yeah yeah, and sometimes the efficiency, you know, we get a lot done and we feel really accomplished, but we haven't had great impact. Right. And so. Um, so we really want to focus in on that impact that we that we hope and we intend to achieve. And so to me, you know, um, tying it all together, like sometimes it requires somebody else really giving you that accountability. I know for me, I hired um, business coaches and mindset coaches and all kinds of coaches to really help me dive deeper into my own growth and development. And mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that that when we have somebody from the outside really leading us um, into our own development, I, I think our results are much stronger and much more accelerated. And so um, so there's lots of opportunities for that. There's lots of opportunities for us to grow and for us to develop like you're doing and, and writing about it and researching and, um, you know, and others are doing when they're, they're joining in on our programs to really accelerate their progress. That's right. Well, I, I want you to tell us how you define leadership. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I guess this this could probably be a thesis, right? But <laughs> um, big picture, leadership is really the ability to mobilize others toward a shared goal, really to create the clarity around that goal and to see that mm. bigger picture when others don't and, and align them with that shared mission. Um, mm-hmm. Leaders influence, they inspire, they help others to show up as their best selves. They help others yeah. build skills and achieve goals and feel good along the way. They create the culture um, and just a sphere of excellence. And so um, one of the things I always think about when I think about leaders, are these are the folks who help optimize the skills and talents and desires of their teams, right? So we find the talent, we find the desire, and then we optimize it. We lift it up. We rise them up. We calibrate them. We help people perform at their most excellent levels so that they can um, you know, create the impact that they desire in this world as well. I guess that's kind of a long answer. Wow. That's what I think leadership is. That was a powerful answer. I see your vision. Like, I mean, you are so clear in 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 your vision. And I like you said, you've had a lot of people to help you get to that point. And I can tell, and you've brought me on this journey with you. I feel like I've been on a journey with you throughout this whole conversation and just growing. And it's just been amazing. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. I really, truly appreciate you and Jason for bringing me on board here. I think this is the kind of conversation um, and kind of the things that need to happen uh, for us both to grow and and hopefully our audiences to to be inspired to uplevel themselves and the others around them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the feeling is definitely uh, mutual uh, on this end. And so we definitely will stay in contact. And of course, you know, always know that this door is open uh, for you, um, you know, for whenever you would like to or accept uh, an invitation to be our guest uh, on the Leadership Is podcast. If you could let our audience know, um, you know, about the journal, about your book, uh, as it relates to when can they purchase, how can they purchase? Yeah, Absolutely. So everything right now is available um, at donreby.podia.com. So it's my name, D-A-W-N-R-E-E, B as in boy, Y, dot podia, P-O-D-I-A, 
www.ecoshop.com. And that's our product site where, where you'll find most of our products there. Uh, we have a couple of books on Amazon as well, but you'll find all the other things that are not on Amazon. You'll find the leadership planners, the bundles, um, the boot camps. The We just came out today actually with Mastermining, uh, Mastering Productivity for Lasting Success, uh, that program. Um, in, in our, our larger programs, for those who really want to get um, intentional and they really want to dive deep, the, the, we have some uh, programs for them. So we do have that leadership school, which is that group coaching as well as one-on-one coaching and an entire curriculum. And so you'll find everything at donreby.podia.com. And if you can't find what you're looking for there, chances are we still have it because <laughs> sometimes I rotate products in and out. Uh, and so you can always reach out to me at Don at excellenceinanalytics.com. Yay. Well, congratulations, Donna, all of your success in your growth and congratulations to your daughter. She, it sounds like she's so lucky to have you, you know, so as a mom, so thank you. Uh, everybody, I thanks for listening. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, just thank you, Lucky. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you both. Yes, ma'am. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Lucky Via Johnson, also known as Lucky. I am the founder of Steps Academic Advising and Education. If you want to go back to school, you're thinking about that, or maybe you just want to design your life, like Don spoke about earlier, you can give me a call. I work with 7th through 12th grade students and undergraduate college students, 833-STEPS-12, or visit www.stepsacademicadvising.com. Yeah, and I'm Jason Muhammad, once again, founder of JM Leadership Development, where we assist your organization to fill or build your leadership bench. Uh, If you would like to have a conversation on what that looks like, you can please give us a call at 828-333-7234, and we will respond promptly. And always remember, leadership is influence and service. Thank you so much for enjoying another episode of Leadership Is Podcast with our special guest, Dawn Reedy of Excellence in Analytics. Uh, If you would like to uh, do us a favor and share this podcast out with your constituents, with your friends, with your network, and always remember, leadership is influence and service.